Hello and welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any grand law statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you live every Thursday night in Facebook and YouTube land. So the chats are always fun. We can't get to all the comments, but your comments may show up on the show. So check yourself. And as always, if you can't catch us live, check the replay or listen to us in your favorite podcasting app. You know me, as always, John Ruark, past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up for his introduction, past master Joe Martinez. How's Hello. It, it still it still rings new to my ear. Yes. Yes. Joe Martinez. We can uh, fix that if you need to. Well, yeah, you know, can't all be like RJ and take seven year breaks <laughs> and stuff. And get back in the saddle. Yeah, Joe Martinez, past master Manassas Lodge number 182. In Manassas, Virginia, member of many other things, and uh, as always, damn glad to be here. Nice, awesome, and last but not least for tonight, Robert Johnson, worshipful master of space. Nope. Wait, wait, hold on. Something's different. Did you did you get a haircut? You know, I got them all cut, and uh, I'm also <laughs> down here in. <laughs> In Joe's office, nice. which, uh, yeah, we're, um, there's some spring cleaning going on. Remodeling. Remodeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Down here for, of course, Masonic week at the Allied Masonic degrees going to make an appearance tomorrow Ooh. with my official duties and Saturday, of course. And, uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch some of y'all out there. We can share a Coke, a coffee, or a cocktail later. I don't know what's going to happen, but, uh, you know, uh, I like to Facebook. So what happens in Crystal City, Virginia is not going to stay there, just so you know. <laughs> the pictures right. will be shared. Unless you go to a Crystal City restaurant, then that will stay there. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I, I, okay, sure. We'll talk later. Okay. So. Lunch, is, lunch is great. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I want to give a special shout out to the patrons who continue to support the show. We are coming up on our 10th year and we would not have made it half as far if it weren't for some of you folks here. Uh, so if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Masonic round table and buy RJ a Coke or a cocktail or a cocktail or lunch at the crystal city restaurant. <laughs> yeah, nice. sure. Yes. Awesome. Now, we also have the best intro that you could possibly have for any special segment. What's it called? Joe, what's it called again? It's called Dina Fire. <laughs> Tarot card of the week. That is so repellent. I love it. I love it. It's got a real Saturday Night Live slash Conan O'Brien vibe. Yeah. I'll be your Max Weinberg. I need to like throw some index cards at the camera or something. There's there's a there's a reference. Actually, you gotta be Max Weinberg. I'm not a drummer. Jason is. I'll just I'll be the Jimmy Vavino. 
Nice. Yes. So yeah. So this week, yeah, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna split this up, right? Um, yes. So we picked a very special tarot uh, deck for this week, and uh, yeah, pulled it out of the archives. It is the one and only. I think one of RJ's favorites because I won it in an auction. The literary tarot. Yes, the literary tarot, and this was a literary awesome. Yes, it is beautiful. Um, absolutely beautiful deck. It is gold foil, oh, shiny foil. Um, yeah, just started looking through it tonight. These cards are absolutely beautiful. Um, and yeah, it was, a, it was a Kickstarter, right, Robert? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, they did a Kickstarter, and um, like essentially all the proceeds went to uh, charities that assist kids in getting to get into books and read. So uh, the entire deck is really unique in that uh, every single card is different. Uh, there's no, like, you're not going to find too many common elements between cards. What you'll find are uh, scenes, captivating scenes from your favorite literary works. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, really incredible stuff. They did, they outdid yeah. themselves. So Yeah. So we got some special cards for tonight, I think. Yeah, we do. Yeah, so hopefully the ones that we draw may or may not be related to the literary artist that we are talking about tonight, Oscar Wilde, brother Oscar Wilde. Random. Randomness. Let's let's see if we can get some random cards drawn that may. Well, how random can you get? Let's uh, let's draw one, and we'll get the uh, oh, the page of quills. Ooh, I'm getting some. Definitely getting some Oscar Wilde vibes there. That uh, yeah. yeah. What does that look like? And then the other one we drew for this was the King of Parchment, which is an homage. You can see there the painting in the background, Dorian Gray. Oh yeah! Look at that! What a coincidence! Hmm. Yes. Yeah. What a coincidence that you would pick those two cards. Hmm. Yeah, the literary tarot deck. It is. The King of Parchment, obviously referring to the portrait of Dorian Gray, one of his classical works. And uh, what's the what's the other one for the Page of Quills? The Ernest. Yes, which I believe was to be his uh, magnum opus as well. well. That was a play. So that wasn't. Yeah. So that was a, that was a play. So he was. A, we'll talk about him. He was a playwright and a writer. Um, but yes, I mean his. His one book work was the picture of Dorian Gray. So, yeah, and you know, speaking of uh, the importance of being earnest, there's a great film project happening right now, capturing the life and times of Jim Varney. Oh, <gasps> no and way! Ernest B. World called the importance of being earnest, which just went into post production. By the way, I'm very excited about that. That is amazing. My kids are going to oh. love that. Yeah, y'all love it. Jim Varney, top yes. notch. Yes, indeed. Well, there you go. What a coincidence. So we have, uh, we have those two. So good call for, for drawing those tonight. Let's talk about Oscar Wilde. All right. So, um, we thought we'd take a little break from the norm and talk about a historical figure, right? Uh, free famous Freemasons have been covered left, right, up and down, right? They are easy subjects to go into, but we thought, Hey, let's mix it up and let's talk about something we haven't talked about. And then, you know, what better place to start than with someone with a, a huge 
persona around him and controversy as well. So, uh, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna hold anything back. We're gonna talk about the life and times of this complicated yet eccentric brother, and uh, get get down to his Masonic history, what influence the craft had on him, at if any, and what he did with his life and times. So, um, from a little bit of a history thing, they actually. The best source material that I found is, um, so you guys ever remember reading articles from like Petri Stones, the review of Freemasonry? It's uh, Freemasons, Freemasonry.com. Yeah. Yeah. Great that's a uh, great resource. Yeah. It really is. really is. So, um, this is, uh, most of the information we'll talk about tonight is covered from a paper by Worshipful Brother Yasha Barisiner, and he did a great job going to source materials to go get dates of initiation as well as a lot of some appended degrees as well so let's talk about uh oscar wilde so uh just to kind of kick things off uh born in ireland died in paris or died yeah died in france and um he he had a very long irish name oscar finnegal o'flaherty willis uh, wilde which he dropped all of his middle names by 1877 he was born in 16th of October, 1854. Okay, but then died right at, right at the turn of the century, not in November of 1900. So he only lived about to be about what, 46 years old, if the math serves right, but had uh, had a wild ride when he did there. And one thing that was interesting for his early life was he was very academically inclined, like super big brain. Um, so much in fact that he, um, was admitted into Trinity college in, at the Dublin university, won a full scholarship and, um, really just was in college before he was even 20 years old. So he, um, he was from, um, a family who actually had his father was also a Freemason. Um, it's really hard to say how much of a Masonic influence right his early life had on that but um his his father did do quite a bit of stuff at his masonic lodge like his father was i think believe master of the lodge uh sir for, for quite some time um but you know that's it's really kind of a separate period of history um at least you know there, there really weren't like brothers hanging out at lodge all the time like you kind of see that today with men and their lewises well or, i think it, i think it's uh it's much more along the lines of uh sort of the upper crust, uh, social acceptance, uh, uh, even around the idea, you mentioned academia, you know, he's a mm -hmm. member of, uh, uh, was it Apollo, Apollo University Lodge? Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, he gets initiated early on in uh, 1875. So he's like, what, 21 years old, maybe? Not uh, even. Yeah. No. So, so that's yeah, the first fun fact. He pulled to George Washington. <laughs> he did. So, yeah. Yeah, can, I, can I pull that thread for a second? Because I thought that was, that was fun. Because not unlike George Washington, who, I'll say on the record, was an irregular and clandestine Freemason, according to the terms that we use today. Um, while not clandestine, because Apollo Lodge was well-established in, in England at the time, um, he was irregular by all means. And that is because that Apollo university lodge 
actually had a rolling dispensation to initiate members earlier than 21 years old. Why? Because they were a university lodge, right? So not unlike the Patriot Lodge, right? While we still stick to 18 years old and older here in Virginia, at the time, you really had to be 21 years old or older. And so there was kind of what this once a year, twice a year dispensation that Apollo University Lodge got to say, hey, can you just give us a blanket statement? So when we get freshmen coming in, we can hit them from the ground floor and, and bring these guys in. That's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is interesting to to note not only uh, his uh, joining early. Uh, this has everything to do with, I think, in that that time period, um, the alignment of his own personal values. Uh, number one, yeah, like you said, his dad was a Mason. He had a close. He had many close friends that were Masons, um, <clears throat> but also uh, he's kind of like a breakthrough class type person in that he's not by any means low class um, but he has this thin glass ceiling to break in order to be somebody who could hang out with you know big deal royals and in these and kind of intermixing with these these uh, sorts of folks and so he's got a, a motivation to do so there. Um, and it's just, you know, thinking about his, his inclinations, for instance, very theatrical, a writer, an eccentric, loves to be dressed in the finest things, very, um, very engaged in his own appearance. Uh, I think Brother Patrick Day did a, a great expose on this. Uh, and he talked about, you know, the, the nomenclature of the day was, uh, you know, they called him a dandy, somebody who was very, very uh, concerned with their appearance and uh, whatnot. Yeah, I relate to that a lot. Like I feel that inside my soul. You connect to that. I I, I see. I, I do believe that. It's so much in fact that I think um, as an aside, he really was enthralled with the asceticism movement, right? Where he really cared about art for art's sake. He even when I think after graduating still called himself a professor of, professor of the aesthetics. So, so because he was so, so caught up in the poetry and the art and the dress that that was, that was part of his persona, right? That was, that was what he was all about. And so there was a movement that was happening at that same time of people that were trying to counterculture, right? The, um, the enlightenment period, right? Right. So this is still, this is a little bit post enlightenment, obviously, but you still had in England, you know, the the upper upper crust upper class right and so he's trying to be the counter movement the, the the punk movement to go along with that to say hey you know we don't need to necessarily hang out with the uh the royal society to be cool we can we can appreciate art just because we want to appreciate art we don't have to have some sort of uh utilitarian reason for doing so 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 was he like the first emo <laughs> i like that <laughs> 
right? Well, you, that makes sense. You mentioned yeah. the idea of of an eccentric and of like kind of a punk avant garde, and the idea is that uh, in these times, <clears throat> it's an interesting time, you know, in this kind of Victorian era because what you have are. I mean, there were things that were commonplace happening in that day and age that today uh, the, uh, mm, we'll just say the very conservative, uh, the very conservative religious movements in America today have almost uh, they, they wouldn't be able to survive in that era in, of history uh, because the things that perhaps were considered, uh, you know, uh, you know, sins and things today were were things that were happen just just happening in everyday occurrences. Then it's almost been like uh, kind of invented uh, in the last uh, hundred years or so. And so the, this era that he's living in is in, is incredible in things of uh, nature, you know, like you know, flamboyancy and then theatrics and and uh, art for art's sake, as you as you point out, uh, he's somebody who's into. Uh, liberation of, of many different things um and as such i mean i mean he eventually kind of gets caught up in the in that um and is forever known that way but it is definitely kind of like this punk rock um scene for him if you wanted to think about it that way yeah, I mean, not to not to beat on this because there's so many other fun things we could talk about Oscar Wilde about, but I mean, it is kind of a, a polar opposite to the culture today, right? Like then the upper crust, they were the the ones who pursued their passions and were a bit frivolous with their proclivities, shall we say? I'm trying to use big Victorian words here, but um, but I mean, that's what you saw in Victorian Europe at the time. You know, it was hey. The rich people got to do the fancy stuff and they did it behind closed doors. And it was very, I guess in the modern, it was very eyes wide shut, right? That's the kind of vibe you got. And that was the status quo for the ultra high wealthy um, and popular and, and uh, prestigious and, uh, you know, uh, people in high society, that kind of thing. So, you know, he was basically the, the punk counterculture, exactly as John said, to that, um, you know, and it, it's kind of evident in, in some of his writings, right? Which is which is wild because we've okay. I gotta stop. We can't, this is like becoming punny at this point. It's wild, uh, uh. It's wild. Uh, um, <clears throat> it is interesting that we have taken we've taken the best parts of of Oscar Wilde, perhaps his authored works, um, even up to a point his. as Joe said, his proclivities um, and celebrated them. So what's, what's interesting is, you know, th this guy is uh, larger than life, uh, is much more well-known and larger than life, say, in our era. I mean, we have uh, movies that were made about him, celebrated, uh, granted, they they took some liberties with with his character and things, but 
I mean, it's just a, uh, a fascinating character. And um, I'll leave it at that for now. Indeed. So, so we know that he gets initiated into Freemasonry uh, pretty much during his freshman year at college. So, um, spoiler alert, he's really only active while he's at college. Uh, he is fascinated with Freemasonry. He's, um, he's around Masons. He's, he's really enthralled by the mystery of it all. He's, uh, he's hanging out with a couple of guys who are uh, very active and obviously, you know, asks them to join. And so it, there's a, there's a funny, there's a funny little anecdote that, that comes out of this paper, which is interesting. Um, let me see, let me see if I can get my, uh, my quote here because um he gets initiated on he gets uh, initiated by special dispensation on tuesday the 23rd of february 1875 right uh, so he's not not quite 21 yet um and when he's there, you know, there's there's a lot a lot of stuff that was going on that night. In fact, the evening began early at 4:45 p.m. with a third degree ceremony, in which one guy was raised, then a pass to the second degree of another guy who later became member of parliament, and then and then they called down to uh, you know obviously the the first degree, where Reverend H. A. Pickard of Christ Church College was the master of the lodge. So yeah, they're doing three separate ceremonies that day. <laughs> Very long day if you've ever ever done that in your your lodge. Any one day classes? Where the how many of those one were? day class? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, he didn't get. He, he definitely didn't do that, right? He did the whole like one month, second degree, uh, or you know, right. initiated, waited a month, <laughs> second degree, then two months got his third degree. You know, sometime it was around. Uh, may or something i think mm -hmm. there is a there's a funny quote though that of course they had they did it right they had a big you know festive board after uh each each lodge meeting so on the night after his initiation um they had a big feast and which uh, oscar got to give a a little little toast or something and he said hey by the way you know, looking at these columns that have like J and B on it, you know, those, those, uh, those brothers of, of, uh, John the Baptist, like that's, uh, you know, really, really great guy for the order. Cause I, you got, you got his initials right there on the columns. And I've heard that, uh, St. John the Baptist was the founder of this order. And I hope we shall emulate his life, but not his death, because I mean, we ought to keep our heads. <laughs> <laughs> and it was said that his comments and wit were responded to with yells of laughter. And so uh, it, either he was in full theatrics that night and or maybe some of the Masons in the room thought differently of what those columns meant. Or maybe someone was sleeping during the lectures <laughs> of the three different degrees that night. So Yells of laughter. Yes. So I got to ask, I mean, like, cause we're, we're talking about this and we see, I mean, I, I even, 
if you know reposted things online you know quote from oscar wilde and it's you know brother oscar wilde and mm-hmm. and we're so into celebrating this guy but uh, as you alluded to really only active for those four years and um but he was a mason though yeah and then he gets expelled what no yeah twice <laughs> no couldn't have happened no. So, right, and granted, okay, so today we have something, we have uh, suspension for non-payment of dues. Uh, but in his day and age, uh, they talk about um, that he was expelled uh, from Apollo University Lodge in 1878 mm-hmm. for non-payment of dues. And then uh, in 1883, Churchill Lodge also suspended him from uh, the fraternity expelled him from the fraternity for non-payment of dues. Right. Um, and they specifically note in their uh, notes on this expulsion that they had attempted not less than three times to acquire his debts. I mean, this guy is somebody who embodies the idea of a, of a starving artist, uh, yes. likely somebody who, uh, mm-hmm relied on benefactors uh Mm -hmm. was frequently called into uh uh, a university court uh for failure to pay debts uh the guy was uh what do we call it today uh he likes champagne but he's got a beer budget yeah Mm. champagne tastes on a beer budget Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I mean, I mean, and you know, spoiler alert: he he runs into a lot of debt in later in life and almost dies penniless. So, yeah, it's, he's he's definitely has a rough take on life um, because of of not because of his lifestyle, but you know, just because of circumstance. <clears throat> well, it was because of his lifestyle eventually. Yeah, yeah. No, he definitely did like to enjoy himself in his proclivities. <laughs> We'll get to that. We'll get to that. More times. So, yeah, so so um, you Mason for a whopping four years. Basically, he he did join um, Scottish Rite. And we do have evidence of him also um, becoming a Mark Master as well in those four years. So, at least he he went on to some of the other degrees. He made a mark. I haven't seen it yet, but I would love to to see what, what mark he had, he had made. Apparently it's, it's some sort of combination of his initials. Yeah. It says that he got uh, the Scottish right at Oxford university chapter of Rose Cross number 40 on November 27th, 1876. Okay. So I don't know if you guys have ever been, uh, you know, at your valleys, uh, in the Scottish right. And maybe you have seen brothers, uh, from across the pond come over here uh, many times they excuse themselves as to not see anything beyond the 18th degree because uh, on a technicality, that is what they are allowed to see up to only. Uh, so, uh, you know, in essence, he achieved his capstone of Scottish Rite Masonry as well. Well, and the mark there was its own thing, just like in England, right? So se- it was- separate grand jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, and this is a pen of body jurisdiction. This is just a year. I mean, he gets Rosecroy a year after he's raised, basically. So, that's about right. It's, yeah. 
well, at least he didn't. Maybe he didn't get the petition the night of. Perhaps so. That's good. that's a that's a that's a good sign. So he, um, so you say he basically gets uh, suspended or expelled for non-payment of dues by uh, seventeen early seventeen eighties, and that's about the same time that he actually meets his wife, um, <clears throat> where he meets meets her. Um, early early 1880s <clears throat> and and gets married and actually ends up having two sons through her uh, both uh, let's see Cyril um, and Vivian and um, but by the time that he's had the second son he's already starting to lose interest in his wife this is only after like two years <laughs> So he gets married in the eight, about 1883, has his first son in 1885, second son in 1886. So do the math. By about three years, he's losing interest in his marriage and actually gets himself into a little bit of extracurricular trouble as well. Yeah. So like right around 1886. So uh, starting in 1886, you find out that uh, he begins relationships with a number of young men, uh, one of which he, he has a love affair with uh, Lord Alfred Douglas. Lord Alfred Douglas at the time is only 21 years old uh, and Wilde is 37. Uh, but that's not really what got him in trouble. I mean, like a lot of these uh, relationships, again, in Victorian England is like no big deal. Um, the, the crime is, of course, um, I guess you would call the crime that they saw was uh, like because it was out in the open. It wasn't uh, being dis discreet. Discretion. Discretion is the word I'm looking for here. He was, uh, I mean, he, of course, tried to be discreet, uh, but it didn't really work out. And, and Lord Douglas is, uh, is the person who introduces Oscar Wilde to uh, something, you know, that's known as England's underground uh, prostitution scene. And in particular, uh, you've got a, a number of young youths uh, men and girls who are trying to escape their uh, class. And the only way they know how to do that is through prostitution. And so it becomes a, uh, a booming business. And uh, Oscar Wilde uh, frequented uh, these underground uh, sexual um, scenes often. Um, his uh, courtiers were usually between the ages of uh, 13 and 16 years old. Uh, you know, and he's 37. <laughs> Whoa. So we've got massive age gaps, uh, huge uh, problems and discretion of, uh, I mean, these are, these are criminal activities, um, not only on the surface level of where you could be arrested for in those days, just what they would call homosexual activity or what they would call uh, sexual uh, indecency. Um, but they took it a point further when uh, they figure out that this is, uh, you know, involving kids. So um, he's, he's really accosted on two, two main problems, right? The first is that uh, one is underage and two, believe it or not, it's also held against Oscar because he is uh, having relations with somebody who is below his social class. Uh, so this is another thing. And uh, the kid that he was um, 
having relationships with. His name is Alfred Taylor. And Alfred Taylor, uh, at the time of the apprehension of both of these two uh, gents, Alfred was 13, meaning that he was tried as an adult, and both of them got two years hard labor. Uh, in fact, Alfred ended up serving much more time, I think, than uh, than Oscar Wilde did, uh, because he had some other things on there, uh, you know, uh, that dealt with all of the lewd charges that might go along with this. So, uh, you know, one begs the question of, uh, you know, we love to celebrate a brother Oscar Wilde. Uh, Patrick Day asked the question, would we still consider somebody who'd been expelled a brother? And we said, well, you know, it's non-payment of dues, but then it's like, well, yeah, but then. Yeah. Where, where does <laughs> Where does once a brother, always a brother, you know, where, where does that line get drawn? You know, versus, Hey, he went to jail for lewd stuff back. Yeah. So I would say like, if he hadn't have been expelled for NPD, he certainly would have been expelled later for uh, sexual misconduct with a minor. So uh, it is interesting that we celebrate it. Uh, We'll call it a curiosity. (laughs) at best. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> but this leads to a whole slew of things later on in his life. Libel. Yeah, that, that's a turning point. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, his works become uh, very uh, judged. People start beginning to look at his works in a different light, um, and perhaps you know, by uh, rightfully so. I mean, uh, today we look at things like. Uh, the, the, the uh, Dorian Gray, we look at that as almost a, uh, I don't know, like a fictional biographical tale. Right. Yeah, it definitely that. had the so, yeah, undertones I mean, in there. Huge thread to pull on that. Well, well to, to your point, his most successful works all really come around this time where he's about to go to jail for things. You know what I mean? So it's all happening at the same time, right? Like his... His most famous picture, Dorian Gray, was, I think, 1890, right? And um, Importance of Being Earnest was, what, 1895? So that was about a year before he went to jail. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was reading somewhere, it was one of the first celebrity trials, right? So, you know, we had our OJs and our our Johnny Depps, and, you know, they had Oscar Wilde. um, It was all the rage in the newspapers. It's funny, because there's a really good quote um, that... um, Worshipful brother Yasha Berenser starts off his paper with it says uh, this is from Oscar Wilde. I want to get to the point where I shall get shit where I shall be able to say quite simply and without affectation that the two great turning points of my life were when my father sent me to Oxford and when society sent me to prison. <laughs> right? That sums it up. That sums up the whole episode here. It is. It, it is. And I think uh, you know there's been some really great commentary. I think you're going on in, in the chat. Uh, you know, they say, well, is prostitution philosophically immoral? Um, I don't, I mean, personally, uh, as a libertarian uh, sort of leaning person, I, uh, I, I I, would tend to say that your body is your body. You do what yeah. you want to do. Um, world's oldest profession. It is the world's oldest profession. That's right. And is the prostitution what, what made him... Um, you know, uh, the crime? No, the, the crime is essentially, uh, of course, in that day and age, that's the crime, which is still a crime today. Um, I think what you can judge it on is not the prostitution, but the fact that uh, he is 
uh, sleeping on the regular uh, and buying lavish gifts and uh, things like that uh, for, you know, little kids. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like you, you screw around. Eventually you're going to get found out. And so he, he actually messed with the wrong person, which was actually the son of um, the Marquis of Queensbury. who was actually, um, he started having a, a love affair with, um, uh, I believe it was Lord Alfred Douglas. And, or what was interesting was that uh, this is what started the trial, that uh, on 18th February, 18th of February, 1895, uh, the Marquess of Queensbury left his calling card at Wilde's Club, and we'll show a picture of that here, because it was actually Exhibit A, in the trial, which is fascinating. Can, can you say Marquis again? I want to hear you say that. Well, so Marquess or Marquis of Queensbury. <laughs> and in it wrote like the big you know, scarlet letter in the corner and wrote for Oscar Wilde posing Sodom Knight. And just, just oh. threw this card on the table and walked out. And so, um, basically flat out calling Oscar Wilde a sodomite in public at, at, at a public club. And so and on that. that's kind of, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Just there it is. Like there's no doubt about what he's being called. So Oscar Wilde says, well, wait a minute. Like you have to prove this. Like I'm going to actually take him to court for libel because it was written down. Now I can actually say that you're, you're trying to offend my name by libel. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take you to court. So not this only is the, this is where you're going, John, this, this is, is crazy. This is right. Crazy part. Yeah. Okay. So he's like, uh, easy. This, I'm going to win this. No problem. I'm going to clear my name. It'll all be good until the marquee actually brings receipts. So he starts hiring private investigators and, starts bringing evidence to the trial of Oscar Wilde's promiscuous <laughs> thanks yes yes question, question dr Rourke. um <laughs> so in victorian england europe sorry uk mm-hmm. you got receipts from prostitutes no 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 i'm just oh, saying yeah, all right it's, that it's is the, it's the young slang I want to do his taxes. You know. <laughs> Carry the one. These are not deductible, bro. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, and this is, it's a business expense. This all goes down 10 years after he's been expelled as well. Yes. And, and had he um, kind of taken his... That's poor. Okay. I don't really have a, another, okay. Just disregard the entire uh, context of this, but had he sure. just taken his licks uh, and, and been okay with this card being thrown and not mm-hmm. gone after that libel suit, I think. Um, yeah. Could have been completely different. Totally different outcome. Would yeah. not have uh, died perhaps penniless. Uh, could have chalked it up to uh, <laughs> the life and times. Yeah. So, so, so what, what's fascinating is all this evidence starts getting brought to court and he quickly retracts. He's like, holy crap. Like I'm going to lose this case, loses the case. So, um, not only did it completely backfire, 
he has to pay court costs, which totally bankrupts him at that point. And he, and he has the pleasure of going to jail for two years. Um, so, uh, well, and now is publicly denounced as a sodomite. So, yeah, I was like, look, if everybody wants to see where he got to stay for two years, I have a picture. And here it is. Where'd it go? There it is. <laughs> that was his room. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really you fancy. Know, that's not. What is, I mean, there are worse places. There are, yeah. <laughs> um, not bad. Not bad. Yeah. So he uh, he gets to spend two years in the slammer, um, and then as soon as he gets out, he's he's out of the London area. He's he goes straight to France, assumes a new name, and he's like, I I just need to hit the reset button on this. Um, and, and doesn't, doesn't survive much longer after that. So. Yeah. They say he gets like really, really sick. Um, there's been a number of different, uh, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, uh, mythologies, uh, you know, talking mm -hmm. about, you know, what he could have had, whether it was something he contracted or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they landed on something, but I can't remember what it was. So I was reading, it looks like they decided he had meningitis. Which also could have been syphilitic meningitis. Yes. At the time, which I, I don't know where he would have got that. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, receipts, baby. The receipts. <laughs> Look at the receipts. Let's go to uh, exhibit B. You, you probably could have tested Alfred Taylor and, and you might have found something similar. Um, yeah. I. So he's released from prison 19 May 1897, dies in 1900, November of 1900. So only lives three years in in France. So kind of a, a, a and again destitute at that point. Yeah, and I I want to say there was I mean aside from the one lawsuit the, the you know where he went with libel I mean there were lots of other and not lots but I think there were a handful of other court cases that involved things around this as well that just all seem to uh, uh, just pile on and you can imagine in that day and age i i seem to recall reading something along the lines of like additional prison time added for the inability to pay your debts so i mean uh, this it's he he just lives an unfortunate sort of uh uh, existence in that latter half of his life and then you know doesn't i mean the guy doesn't even make 50 years old no well i mean to your yeah. point i mean they still had debtors prisons going into the early 20th century you know what i mean so that was that was a thing like oh you can't pay this fine you're going to jail for a year you know for 20 pounds or right. you know whatever um so that that was a thing but but to your point um yeah i mean those last couple of years for him i mean i was reading somewhere where he even applied to go off to a Jesuit retreat, I think, after he got out of prison, just to, mm -hmm. like John said, hit that reset button, and they told him, no, he couldn't. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think it would have lasted in the Jesuits. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, if he would have went to Rome or something. He did get last rites read to him, though. <laughs> he was baptized. Yep. 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 Right before yep. his death. Just yep. the, uh, the old last-minute presto change -o. The old Constantine. 
Yeah. Just in case. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so again, we, you know, we're getting close to time, but just the, this, the point of the story is right. Like, so like with most famous Freemasons, they are human beings. They are, we're all flawed some more than others. And, uh, you know, while we should, we should separate, you know, the man and his nature from the works from Freemasonry, but we tend to just say famous Freemasons, let's, let's go celebrate them. So we just want to make sure we're covering that. This is a complicated subject, complicated man. And, you know, and really point, point blank in today's society, other than the underage stuff, like the homosexuality would not have really been as big of a deal. Um, you can't, you nevertheless being charged for, he sodomy. still would have got canceled. bro. Oh, he would have got canceled. Right. For, for other reasons. Well, but, I mean, to that point, right. Like, like stepping outside the, the Freemasonry thing, he was not part of upper society. So at some point in time, they would have cut their losses with him. Like he was a fun thing to have around. Ooh, cool. He's a playwright. He's a writer. He's really fancy. Mm-hmm. But you know, once the champagne runs out and they have no more use for him, he, he would not have survived in that society long-term right. anyway, right? Because he would have not been the new fresh thing anymore. And they would have moved on to something else. Right. So, and I think he probably struggled with that and lived with that. I mean, it's evident in, in his writings, like the picture of Dorian Gray is like you said, John, it is, literally a window into how this man viewed his own life right of vanity and pleasure and the struggles with it and what's really underneath that i mean if y'all have not read the picture of dorian gray boom go read it or read the cliff notes if they still make those things um well, they, don't, but, they don't make those is that, is that like know, a wikipedia summary is that what that is yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that uh barnes and nobles always got uh like really nice leather bound classic editions of those um they're dorian gray you would think it sounds like some crazy uh oscar wilde and you think oh man it's got to be some huge tome it's not a really big it's not a huge yeah. book um yeah. but exactly like you said thinking about uh you know when, when you said the champagne runs out i thought that was really interesting uh in a, in a wonderful way to, to to put that too because he's kind of like uh, this sort of curiosity to the upper crust. Uh, he is uh, um, aesthetic to sort of have around, oh yeah, we've got Dorian Gray, you know, and when it all comes down to it, you know, like maybe behind closed doors, you could almost imagine an argument that takes place between uh, you know some upper crust person who had him over at a, a fancy party and they say, you're nothing without me, buddy. You know, think uh, uh you know, Bob Crane, a la John Carpenter. So nice. Very nice. <clears throat> All right. So that's, uh, that's Oscar Wilde in the summary. Let's, uh, let's head around to final thoughts and we'll just go straight to it. No, no final question of the week. I'll just give your, your final two cents on the life and times of Oscar Wilde, starting with, let's start with Robert. I think, (laughs) I think uh, Oscar Wilde was uh, indeed a brilliant author. Uh, I I find uh, that he, his sort of legendary quick wit and and things of that nature are uh, 
are missed in today's society. You don't find too many people that uh, have the ability to make people laugh in an intelligent way, uh, regardless of uh, the way they do it in terms of like, are they using, you know, super high, wor you know, uh, uh, high pollutant words or are they, uh, you know, using base base language that, you know, 99% of the population understands. I think he's a, he was just a great writer. Um, I find it an unfortunate existence uh, in that he gave in to his lower instincts and probably a good amount of peer pressure. Um, and uh, to an extent, you have to say that uh, we are, uh, at least in some measure, a product of our environments. Um, you can look at uh, abuse cases today and see that that's true. Uh, you can also think about uh, the types of things that were shunned and, and not looked great upon in that era and the things that uh, when you tend to like, when you tend to uh, sort of criminalize or ostracize things that, that in general are for all intents and purposes basic and natural developments within the human and the human psyche um that that you're turning criminals into just people and then you end up uh driving them into dangerous situations for them to fulfill their uh you know human desires and he gets caught up in this and uh it, it, again just unfortunate um i, I think that uh, it's it's cool to call him a bro um, i don't know that i would actually celebrate him as uh any more than i might celebrate somebody else who was uh expelled from the fraternity uh but again celebrated as a good writer sure um and I hope everybody tunes in next week when we talk about John Wayne and his uh, one day class and 1970s article <laughs> that appeared in Playboy magazine in which he said some incredibly insensitive things. That's true. Look it up. <laughs> it's all true. It's all. Joseph. Yes. Um, sorry. I was busy. I was trying to, uh, schedule a john wayne movie marathon at our at our park <laughs> next month to celebrate celebrate masons in the public eye but no um yeah it's um oscar wilde's story is really an interesting one and and again this is not a a book podcast um but if you really want a first person insight into how this man really thought about himself living in a time of hedonism and decadence and um like john said being so enamored with the aesthetics of life um and and knowing that it's going to set you up for failure um read the picture of dorian gray man it is you know it really is a tragic story and when you think about it knowing what you know now that you know he's really writing about himself right um, as he's living through this this period in time, um, there's a, a tragedy to that, and it's it's kind of beautiful, right? There, there's a tragedy to acknowledging your own human existence, um, and I think he captures that absolutely wonderfully. Um, it's an absolutely wonderful tale. Um, so definitely, if you haven't read it, if you weren't forced to read it in high school like I did, definitely read it. Um, 
but yeah, uh, to, to Robert's point, yeah, we love to celebrate our famous Freemasons. Um, but, but as John said, we do have to remember that Freemasons are a microcosm of the macrocosm of human society. So you get people of all shapes, size, colors, and for the bingo card proclivities. So, um, you know, there, there's all types of people out there. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm content in celebrating his writing accomplishments. Um, probably wouldn't bring him to lodge, um, you know, and in Virginia, he wouldn't be allowed in anyway, cause he was a felon. So, uh, yeah. So kudos. Oh yeah. Oscar Wilde. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. You know, I first got turned on to Oscar Wilde, uh, through his quotes because he has some like really like zippy like one-liners so here's just a few of them and i'll save my favorite one for last like you know that let's see everything in moderation including moderation <laughs> um i can and this one's appropriate for today's episode i can resist everything except temptation <laughs> which he that is a true statement of his his uh his life and times true true friends will stab you in the front and my personal favorite is experience is merely the name men give to their mistakes because you know we say oh i've got 20 years experience in this in this career field oh okay so you've you failed for 20 years and you you have those those stories to tell about that right so i always find that fascinating that we we carry experience as a badge but if you think of it in that quote, that experience is merely men, um, the name men give to their mistakes, then it, it certainly paints a different picture. So, um, yes, like all things, separate the man from the Mason, from everything else that goes with it. And you'll, you'll certainly be better off, right? Uh, no hero worship because, uh, as they say, never meet your heroes, but it is worth talking about is worth discussing, uh, for historical purposes. And that's why we study history. If Jason were here, he'd say, you know, that's that's the whole historical element, that you have to take the good with the bad, learn from it, and try to not repeat those mistakes in history. So with that, I want to thank you all very much for watching. See you next week, and keep searching for more life. Have a good night. Wow.